Welcome to Winging It Motown Radio. Uh, this is Graham actually taking over the hosting duties from Jeff because he's doing life stuff or working or I don't know. He's not here. So it's probably going to be a good podcast tonight. Uh, <laughs> with us, we got JJ. JJ, what's going on? Oh, it's the greatest night. Yeah, I'm not even going to lie about it. I'm, I'm mad. Awesome. That's going to make for some good. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty. I haven't watched the game yet. So I know what happened. <laughs> so I'm, I'm perturbed, but I'm not angry enough to, to really know what happened yet. So uh, also join us. We got Lauren. How are you? Doing all right. Excellent. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's in that kind of that state of a little bit of shock, right? Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, we also have Prashant joining us today. How are you doing? Good. Well, not good. I mean, as good as you can be after that shit show. So. Right. So, uh, for those who obviously didn't pay attention yesterday, uh, shit show that Prashant's referring to is actually the end of the streak. The point streak is over. Uh, Red Wings fall to the Sabres after blowing yet another third period lead. Uh, said, I haven't watched the game yet, so I don't know exactly what happened. So I'm going to let the three of you kind of talk a little bit about it. Um, this, we'll get into this in a second, but give us your thoughts, JJ. Give us your thoughts of the game itself. Um... If I can calm myself down enough to think about it, it was just one of those games, and you, you get tired of watching one of those games, especially with blown third-period leads. Um, the Red Wings did a lot of things well, just except for they didn't hit the net. Um, uh, they had a few turnovers that came back to bite them. I thought Peter Morazic came up pretty big uh, several times, but it's just one of those you'd expect them coming out of the third period against a team like the Sabres, who are way better than the Sabres have ever been, and they've got a good system, and they're still um, they're still aggressive. But just watching that happen and making it, it felt inevitable, and it felt more inevitable than it has in recent blown leads, like where it was they were really pushing to extend the lead, and then something bad happened. This one felt like they were more back on their heels than usual, so... I'm hoping that they spend the next three days off um, being angry about it, which uh, they're professionals. They're probably not going to be that angry about it, but I hope they take it out on, on Vancouver this Friday. Hmm. Lauren, how you doing? Uh, I think, yeah, I agree. Um, felt like they were sitting back on their heels more, you know, only scoring, only having one goal scored at all in the whole game did not lend to any sort of confidence that it was going to remain that way. Um, I think when we said, when we were watching the Jersey game last week, um, you know, it was getting late in the game and we were like, oh, you know, it's, it's two to one at that point. We all kind of knew there's another goal coming. We just hoped it was for the Red Wings and it wasn't. And it kind of felt the same thing tonight. Like there's, this game is not ending one nothing, and you just hope that it's the Wings that score again, but it wasn't again. So it's just frustrating again. Um, I don't know, but it, yeah, it's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to come up. Well, first of all, I mean that losing yeah. to the Sabers and look, like Sabers are better than they were a year ago, but they're still not. They're not a great team. They're certainly not a good team yet. So it's frustrating. Um, if you don't follow uh, Prashant on Twitter, you should because he will just make you feel absolutely terrible about the third periods. I'll so, give a puppy after. They can have a puppy. <laughs> 
Seriously, like, you know, this we're on pace to be one of the worst third-period teams of all time right now. I mean, we're on pace to give up 29 third-period goals when we have the lead. We only gave up 15 last year. I mean, we're already at 11 this year. It's absurd. I don't really know what to say about it. Well, that's, you know, that's the interesting question is the third period leads. Is it a case of usage? I know there's been a lot written on um, Glenn Denning and his line being out there when those when a lot of these tying goals are being scored. Um, Is it just a case of usage? Is it a case of them sitting back and just kind of trying to protect the lead? You know, I mean, in, in my opinion, after watching tonight, watching yesterday, um, watching the last few days, I mean, just thinking about um, uh, the way they're playing, it almost looks like they're trying to, they're trying so hard to play offensively that they're leaking out of the, uh, the defensive zone early. Like, you know, I, I put together a couple of clips of Tatar trying to leak out of the zone when the puck is clearly still in Buffalo's possession. And he's a guy I'm kind of dogging on right now. Did it against New Jersey. He's done it against Buffalo again tonight. Uh, he's just vacating the zone, trying to get a break. And I think they're they're trying to press so hard for that extra goal that it's actually costing them defensively. Because, you know, I don't, honestly, I can't even think of a single time I saw Glenn Denning on the ice in the third period. Uh, you know, they made the usage switch. It's not him. Yeah, outside of that one shift, he was out there uh, in Nyquist's spot. Yeah, they had the one time uh, while Buffalo was uh, was stressing to on the forecheck that they got uh, Shan Tatar and Nyquist up ice on a three on two, and that uh, that drop pass to Tatar that could have iced the game, and he put it right in the crest. So I, I think Tatar has really struggled defensively in the last several games, and he's back to that. I, I put this on Twitter. Like he just seems like he's got a million good ideas in his head, and he can't decide which one to use. And by the time he does decide it, he, it's already too late. Um, he's just trying to dip and dangle a little bit too much instead of simplifying his game. These stretches seem to happen like five or six games at a time, and then he, he busts out of them. And I'm, I'm hoping that he busts out of this one soon because that's uh, like, exactly like you said. It's it's just it's annoying watching them fly the zone early, uh, trying to essentially challenge their own demon to hit them on perfect outlet passes, and then they have to come all the way back to make up for these kind of mistakes. Uh, just a note, Luke Glendening had a grand total of three shifts in the third period and was not on the ice for a goal at all. A minute 43 total in third period ice time. Yep. And, you know, that, that's the kind of usage you you know we've been asking for, and I think if the team plays the way they, they should play and not right now, you know, they're all grasping their sticks a little too tight. They're pressing really hard and, uh, you know, it's causing miscues. I mean, they're, the amount of bobble passes, everyone's just really on edge. I think they just need to blow the doors off in one third period game and everything will settle back down. I'm looking at your, your timeline here, Prashant, and you have a tweet that says, um, when leading the by one in the third, the Red Wings own a league worst 2.8 shooting percentage. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that, that hurts a punch that's, too. That's atrocious. Yeah. That's that, that's all situations than, too. That's like power play five on five. I mean, two point eight percent. And that that's that Yurkish. is worse. That's worse than Yurko's shooting percentage last year. Yes. If anyone wants a comparison, <laughs> sub Yurkish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. Speaking of Yurkish, uh, penalty shot. I have. I did see that. Um, not the greatest effort, I would say. Uh, is that, let me ask you, is that a turning point in the game? No, I don't think no. so. After how many open nets were missed by other players, no. It shouldn't have made the difference. No, I, I don't think that's the turning point at all. It might have been the turning point for him, not the turning point for the team. 
Because I don't think uh, he saw the ice really after that. He had, well, I'm looking at the time on ice. I don't remember when it was. Was it about five minutes left in the third or in the second? Somewhere around there. Jericho because, did not have a third period shift. No, he played, he had eight shifts and played a total of five and a half minutes. So Yeah, yeah his, you know, his penalty shot was his very last shift. There you go. <laughs> That's I don't. I thought he was playing well up until then too. Like, I thought so too. I, I thought he was good in the through beginning. Through Blashill's decision there, like did he did he quit and then Blashill's kind of like, well, I got to protect his ego now, or I don't I don't understand that. I mean, I think in, in in fairness, you have to also think about how many other shifts did Glenn Denning really get? Because I mean, if we're talking, he only got three, and we were on the PK uh, in the, in the third. I don't even know if Glenn Denning saw a five on five shift. Glenn Denning's. He played 22 seconds shorthanded in the third and had a minute 21 even strength. Yeah. And that was the first 22 seconds of the third period. Yeah, so that's just hard to get Yurko out there, you could say. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. he just completely went away from the entire fourth line, which is fine. I mean, that's what I've, you know, I think that's what a lot of us <laughs> said he should do, but. Well, that's it's the a, rub. That's the rub. Right? Whim. Yeah. Yeah. Because and it's like, okay, I'll, I'll show them. I'll just tire all my three lines and then we'll fail a different way. Yeah, because Anderson only had one shift in the third period, and that was in the first minute. So Anderson yeah. and Yurko, they they were pretty much on the bench for the entire third period. So, all right, so the streak's over. Um, we we can talk a little bit about kind of the week that was. I mean, they so this week was actually a pretty tough week. Um, they had three games and four nights against some some pretty good teams. I mean, they Washington and Montreal were probably the two best teams in the East, and then a New Jersey team. That was is playing surprisingly well. Took four to six points um, with a shootout loss, an overtime loss, and an, a very important regulation win against Montreal to beat them. So, highlights of the week. What was the what was the the high point of the week? And don't just say the win against Montreal because that was obviously <laughs> the best part of the week. Jeez, oh, but like, give me give me like a specific like what stood out to you this week as something positive that happened. I mean, I'll jump on that. It's it's Michelle's piece on Marchenko. If you just watch him over the entire week against top competition, I don't think he ever looked out of place. I mean, he went up against a lot of really good forwards, and the guy just, you know, he's he's smooth, he's skilled, and I've said it before, he reminds me of Konstantinov minus the hitting. You know, he's got offensive capabilities. I think just right now he's focusing on his defense, but he doesn't get enough credit. Uh, but I thought he looked really good this week. I'm going to go with uh... – Darren Helms' two-goal performance against Montreal. I thought that he uh, really played well. Well, I missed um, both the Washington and the Montreal game because of work. So I'm going to say the two power play goals that we got against New Jersey. My, you know, for me, it was um, uh, Jimmy Howard and putting in two extremely strong starts, um, even though he didn't win either one of them. Um, but you know those are those are two games that without Howard they don't gain a point at all. So I think it's important. Uh, Mrazek seems to be kind of a little bit leaky lately. Just you know, kind of getting back into that that thing he had last year where he was giving up kind of a soft goal, a soft goal per game. Seems to be a little bit back into that, which is to be expected from a guy playing his first full NHL season. Um, Howard has really, I thought, kind of stepped up and. Played pretty strongly to keep pushing Mrazek and not allow him to take that starting job yet. So, uh, standings are kind of bunched up. It's a little early to be talking about playoff positioning, but, I mean, I guess it's never too early. But they've closed the gap on Montreal. Montreal 
is no longer completely out of reach, but Ottawa and Boston are still kind of nipping at their heels. A um, little bit of news this week. Kyle Quincy is skating now for the first time. He's still a ways away. He's not due back until January, but I believe the quote was that he believes he is ahead of schedule. Is this good news, and what are the what's the potential impact here? See, I'm terrified to call it good news because I can't trust that the organization is going to make the move um, that gets Kyle Quincy back on the roster, or not even that, because I, I like Kyle Quincy, I, I want him back, but honestly, I think uh, Marchenko is above even Quincy on the on my depth chart, and whatever it takes to keep the Red Wings from sending Marchenko back down just because he's the guy who can be sent back down is what I want to have happen. Um, if we have a Marchenko Quincy third pairing, I think that's I think that's a pretty good third pairing. I think that we can return Kyle Quincy to the offensive-minded defenseman that um, made him desirable when he played in Los Angeles and in Colorado. I think we uh, we could go really well because um, like I I like Smith. I haven't been unhappy with his overall play, although in the last several games, I think he's made a lot more mistakes. Um, but I'm just kind of ready to move on from, from Smith and Quindle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Smith and Kindle. Um, and I really want to see Marchenko stay up. So if Quincy want, it comes back, great. If it ends up, hey, we move Quincy, then okay. Whatever keeps Marchenko in the lineup, that's what I want. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, in a perfect world, I would be jettisoning Erickson before I would jettison Smith because Smith had, you know, He's struggled. He's been up and down. He's been inconsistent. But I think over the last couple of games, he has looked a little better um, in terms of reeling in his stupid stuff and driving a little bit of possession. And then his his tie-up today was great. I mean, the way he took the body and the stick uh, in front of the net, that was an excellent play. And I don't know. I think he brings more to the wings than Erickson does at this point. I mean, you know, a, a lump of coal does that too. But... <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't think we're ever going to see the move where you can get rid of Erickson and his $4.25 million salary. So, Well, that's that's the rub. And, and I mean, you know, it actually kind of leads me into this. So today we actually saw, amazingly enough, a hockey trade. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, if you can call it that, given who's involved. But the Chicago Blackhawks are sending Trevor Daly, who has never been in there apparently, to Pittsburgh for Rob Scuderi. So... You see that move made, and like if Rob Scuderi can get moved for an actual human body, there's got to be a market for Jakob Kindle for something, right? I mean, does this not set the market for somebody like Kindle or Smith? See, um, I can't see that because, like, what just a week ago, Fane cleared waivers. Like, I don't get where the waiver trade market is. I think that NHL GMs are not interested in Smith or Kindle. Uh, because of the way that we've developed them. Daly still has that promise because he keeps getting used, and he's actually put up decent points. Uh, Scuderi has that veteran stay-at-home defenseman grit championship guy. Um, Smith and Kindle don't have either of those things. They're Trevor Daly without the history at best. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about the trade, really, the the whole goal for this with Chicago was all right, they got Pitt to retain a third of Scuderi's salary. So Scuderi's costing Chicago $2.25 million, and I think Daly was somewhere above $4 million. So they're getting 
salary cap relief from the deal, even though they have to hang on to Scuderi's body for a year and a half. Um, I mean, if you look at, if you want to play the market from that aspect and say, okay, if you're able to move a bigger contract or a smaller contract to provide cap space, if you look at all the guys who are tight against the cap, none of them really need a defenseman. I mean, it's Tampa, Washington, Rangers, Sharks. I mean, I don't really see anybody willing to play trade there. That's within your division and within your conference. So I just don't see it happening. Hmm. Well, I mean, obviously something's going to have to something's going to have to happen because it certainly seems at this point that Marchenko is he's certainly ahead of Kindle on the death chart because he's being played and Kindle's sitting in the in the cabana. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it, look, it's got a month to work itself out. Um, you know, it's not like it's going to happen anytime soon. But it just uh, with the trade today, it just it almost makes you wonder: is there? You still hear talk about other teams needing defensemen or looking for defensemen. I guess it's we hold out hope that uh, Kenny will be able to swing a deal and actually get something for somebody and not just send Marchenko down, which is really the easy move to make. Speaking of call-ups, and that's a shitty Jeff segue if I ever made one before. <laughs> um, Wings are still dealing with Timo Polkin and Drew Miller. They're both still out right now on the in the in Detroit. They've got twelve forwards. It was talk earlier yesterday of um, Athanasiu being called up. And Blashill basically said, look, I'm not going to call him up to play him on the fourth line because whatever his reasons are, they are what they are. Uh, as it turns out, Athanasiu is a little bit hurt. So for, for him specifically, it's kind of moot. But nobody is being called up at this point. Um, I don't know if I agree with the idea that if, you're, if you call up Athanasiu, you need to play him top nine. I think when he, when he was up last time, he kind of showed something that it doesn't matter really where you put him, you can play him wherever. I, I, I'm starting to get a little annoyed with this concept of if you bring up a certain type of player, he has to play top nine or else why are you playing him? Is that, I mean, do we all feel this way? Yeah, I agree with you. Yep. I mean, when uh, Johan Franzen came up, he was never expected to turn into a, a top six sniping winger. Uh, he came up as an offensive center. Um and he kind of played his way into that role because he was he became essentially invaluable to the Red Wings. So I think giving Athanasiu that chance, and I think uh, based on what I've seen from Athanasiu, I think he would take that chance and really run with it. So yeah, just call him up, play him on that fourth line, um, play him as that fourth line center, considering we keep coming to the same conclusion about uh, some of the problems the Red Wings have been having. Although, like we talked about earlier, to Blashill's credit, he, he limited that issue. But I mean, it all depends on whether he's healthy right now, too. But, yeah, I'd, I'd give him the fourth-line minutes, and honestly, I'd give the fourth-line an opportunity to start earning more of the minutes if they can play well enough. And if not, you send him back down, you call somebody else up, and you do it. You keep doing that. The fourth-line does not have to be, well, that's where we're going to just hide the penalty-killing grinders. Um, we could play Athanasiu on the PK. He does, he does that in Grand Rapids, too. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with JJ there because now if you bring up Athanasiu, you slot him, you know, even for him, I say slot him on the wing because Glenn Denning, if there's one thing he does well, it's face-offs, right? So he he wins 57% of his face-offs. So if you put Athanasiu and Yurko on the wings, that line almost resembles an NHL line minus one part. So <laughs> you could theoretically give that line more time in your for in your third period and maybe you avoid that problem of wearing them down because 
you, you can do that. You can't do that when that second piece is Miller or Anderson. Those are possession drags. But Athanasiu, in his limited time, has shown that his speed, like Helm, you know, really helps with puck retrieval and driving possession. So I think if you call them up, you don't have to relegate them to that. You can play them 10, 12 minutes a night, uh, and that's fine. Yeah, I don't mind that either. Um, just, I, I I mean, obviously we know with Anthony Sue is kind of hurt right now um, day to day. But, you know, I, I mean, you look at who actually is on the fourth line. I mean, Anderson or Glenn Denning, you know, pick one, Anderson, um, to replace with Anthony Sue in it, like, there's I, there's nothing that I see wrong with that. You know, you, you gain a lot of speed, you gain hands. Um, you know, it's it's you're replacing a, a penalty killer with someone who can play that same role. Um, I don't know, and and that kind of goes for the same thing. Like ever anyone else, you you kind of want to call up. It seems like they're kind of destined to be plugged into a fourth line role, and you know, it seems like that's why no one has been called up because they don't want to break up the the kid line that we have we don't want to break up either of the other top three lines and it's it's unfortunate that you know that mindset is getting us stuck without um any other kids getting an opportunity and the other thing that's frustrating too is that um it's the same mentality that we saw with Babcock that like you know any kid who gets called up you know we're going to start him on the fourth line and you know I we kind of hoped that we were going to move away from that a little but we're seeing that again so here's a question if Athanasiu is not healthy enough by Friday to play. Do you run with the 12 forwards that the Red Wings have been running with? Or would you say call up Tang Grady, Mealy, um, Anthony Mantha, Mitch Callahan, and play one of them over uh, Anderson? I think anything's better than Anderson. I mean, I haven't seen, you know, we haven't really seen Callahan much at NHL level, so... You know, I think anything's really better, though. I mean, but given what we know about Anderson. Yeah, well, that's where I'm at, too. Callahan's a right-handed shot, too, so, you know, automatic bonus there. <laughs> he tries I think hard. if we're going to do that, it, it's hard. Be a, it should be a prospect and not a, a journeyman. Like, I wouldn't call up Tangrady just, Tangrady just to play over Anderson um, yeah. or Mealy, because those are guys, I mean, they, they're great in the AHL. They're they're just like they're basically a replacement level at the NHL. So yeah, I would give those those minutes to uh, a Callahan or or maybe even Manta or possibly Thomas Nosek um, mm-hmm. to see what they can do. For sure. I mean, any like like you know, we all agree on anything's better than Anderson right now. So awesome. What do you think, well, man? I agree. I mean, it's uh, I believe call up should be for for prospects to get a, a taste of playing in the NHL. I think once you get to a certain point in the AHL. Where, I mean, I'm saying this for normal organizations, not the Red Wings who develop everybody until they're 50. Um, you know, you want to see what they can do in a short period of time when you have that kind of immediate need. Uh, so I, I would like to see a kid that has never played in the NHL, you know, give them a shot, see what happens. The worst that happens is they don't look like they're ready. You send them back down and they get a little bit more seasoning. That's kind of the point. Um, I don't want to see what Mitch Callahan can do at the NHL because I mean, I mean he's kind of he's basically sealing out as a a mid-level player in the AHL. I don't know what he's going to do at the NHL level. He's certainly not going to turn into some sort of star or anything. So, um, you don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard though because uh, you know the Griffins are like they are red hot. I mean, it's 
is as well as the Red Wings were doing in terms of picking up points, the Griffins are probably doing even better. Um, so uh, Michelle, who is our resident Griffins expert, is going to talk a little bit about that and kind of explain what's going on down in Grand Rapids. The Griffins continued their win streak last week and extended it to 11 games, tying a 2005-2006 franchise record. It didn't matter if it was a dominant win over the Ice Hogs 4-1 on Wednesday night or an overtime thriller against the Iowa Wild on Sunday. The Griffins just seem like they cannot be stopped. With three more games last week and three more wins, the Griffins now have a 13-8-1 record and 27 points on the season, which puts them at fourth in the Central Division. Friday night against Rockford, they played probably one of their most consistent full 60-minute games of the season. It wasn't anything incredibly spectacular for most of the game. It was a lot of really close play and back and forth, but the Griffins held their ground, they remained steady, and they ended up winning the game 4-1 to as a result. It was kind of that mantra that Jeff Blashill always preaches, is you don't get too high and you don't get too low. They stuck to their game plan, they did what they needed to do, and they didn't let Rockford goad them into taking a bunch of stupid penalties or get under their skin or takeover play, which is what Rockford tried to do. That's what that team does, especially when they get frustrated or it got late in the game and they only had one goal. Even when it was tied just after a while and they hadn't scored, their goal of trying to get something going is to agitate, to get under your skin, to try and get the other team off their game. And the Griffins weren't having any of it. The game on Sunday against the Iowa Wild screamed trap game. The Wild are one of the worst teams in the league. The Griffins were on a 10-game win streak. They were about to tie the franchise record. And they had traveled the night before So they left Rockford after the game by bus, got to Des Moines around 3.30 in the morning, probably got to bed around 4, and then they had a 4 p.m. game the next day. Iowa had a one-goal lead after the first. In the second period, Mitch Callahan got the Griffins on the board with about five minutes left. But then going into the third period, the Griffins were still down 3-1, to and they looked flat, they looked tired, and they just weren't getting much going. Then with two minutes and 20 seconds left in the third period, Marty Furk got a goal and brought the Griffins to within one. They had Coral pulled, Ferk scored, and there was hope. And then, with 38 seconds left in the game, Mark Zengerly scored to tie the game. Once again, with Jared Coral pulled. The Griffins and Iowa Wild went to overtime. On the Griffins' third shift in overtime, Nelson sent over the boards Tomasz Nozak, Anthony Mantha, and Xavier Roulette. Those three made magic on the ice. They were cycling. They were passing. They had pretty much from the time they came out onto the ice, they went directly into the wild zone and they stayed there, passing, cycling. Nosek got tripped up from his knees, made the pass to Willette, who passed it to Mantha. Mantha, he, it was a beautiful drop pass. Mantha sends it towards the net, and Willette is streaking across the crease and gets his stick on it and tips it in, and the Griffins win in overtime. Unbelievable. If there was a game that you thought that they were going to lose that just felt like they weren't going to get anything going. It was this game. And then they come back from a 3-1 deficit and pull off an exhilarating overtime win. That's the kind of team that we're dealing with. In the three games last week, they outscored their opponents 12-5. And in their 11-game win streak, they've outscored their opponents 45-17. In just their last five games, they've outscored their opponents 19-7. Jared Coral started all three games for the Griffins as Tom McCullum is out with an ankle injury 
injury and Jake Patterson is called for backup duty. In the three games, Coro has only allowed five goals on 95 shots, which equates to a 947 save percentage. And given those great numbers, he had a really rough game on Wednesday night where he gave away a goal and almost a second one. He's not even playing at his very best, and this is what he was able to do. In his 13 games this season, Jared Coro is 9-2-1 with a 2.17 goals against average and a 931 save percentage. That's the fourth best save percentage in the AHL. Anthony Mantha was a healthy scratch on Wednesday night despite playing some decent hockey. In his last nine games, he has 12 points, and in his last three games, he has seven points. The two games since being a healthy scratch have been by far Mantha's best two games of the season. One of the things Coach Nelson said he's looking for from Mantha is consistency. Can he have these two really great games and keep it up, or is he going to disappear for a stretch of games? If Mantha can keep this up and play like he's played the last couple of games, there's nothing that will stop this kid, but he has to be able to keep it up. And what we've seen a lot in the past is he'll go through a stretch of really good games and then he'll kind of drop off and disappear. What the coaches are trying to get him to do is to keep that up on a regular basis. Every player's going to have down games or games when they're not as noticeable or don't make as much of an impact, but he needs to do it on a regular basis. And obviously he can because he's doing it. Andreas Athanasiu continues to be a force. In his last nine games since being sent down from Detroit, he has 12 points. Unfortunately, he's sustained a lower body injury in the first period Saturday against Rockford and wasn't able to play Sunday. The coaches are saying that it's a lower body injury, it's day-to-day, it's nothing serious, so hopefully he'll be able to play sometime next week. With Anthony Mantha being a healthy scratch and then Andreas Athanasiu being injured, Marty Furt got into two games last week, and in those two games, he put up three points. He had two goals and an assist. Andy Mealy has eight points in his last eight games, and Eric Tangrady has 14 points in his last 10 games. So just in the last nine games, the quote-unquote second line of Tangrady, Athanasiu, and Mantha have combined for 36 points. 36 points in nine games. Tyler Bertuzzi picked up his first goal of the season Saturday night against Rockford, a team that he apparently really likes scoring against, and Tomasz Nozek also got another point. That line with Noshek and Bertuzzi is better and better every game, and those two players are going to start breaking out really soon, and that's going to give the Griffins three scoring lines. They're already getting a ton of contributions from their top two lines, and as that spreads out even further, these guys are going to be unstoppable. The Griffins' penalty kill remained almost flawless through five games. They finally allowed a power play goal against in the game against the Iowa Wild, and it was with just a few seconds left in the power play. Unfortunately, their power play still remains over in the last five games. They've scored all these goals at even strength, and that's got them through, but they're going to need their power play, and they're going to need to get it clicking. With their power play being non-existent, if I was the coach, I'd be looking to switch up some personnel. Tomasz Nozek still isn't on the power play, and he's a guy that can make a big difference. I'd be putting him on the power play, and I'd also be putting Tyler Bertuzzi on the power play, and I'd be putting Bert's butt right in front of the goalie. He's good at tipping shots in. He's probably one of the best that I've seen since Tomas Holmstrom at actually screening the goalie and deflecting shots in rather than standing in front of the goalie and blocking shots. Anthony Mantha really captivated me in the two games that he played last week. When he's on his game, he's a force to be reckoned with. He's a big body, he's a good skater, he has great hands, and what I saw him doing in the last two games was really driving play. He was being smart both with and without the puck. He had some great chances along with Andreas Athanasiu, the passing between those two, but he was putting himself in good position even when he didn't have the puck. 
he was inside the play and he was just making really smart decisions and he was strong on his feet he was strong with the puck if Anthony Mantha could play every game or heck 90% of his games like he's played these last two there's nothing that will stop this kid he has so much talent and so much skill and it's starting to really come together the Griffins have three games this upcoming week. Wednesday night, they're on the road to face the Lake Erie Monsters. Then Friday and Saturday, back home for back-to-backs against the Texas Stars. Down in Toledo, the Walleye had a little bit of a rough week and saw their 10-game point streak come to an end. On Wednesday, they suffered a 3-2 loss to Evansville Iceman. On Friday, a 2-1 shootout win against the Wheeling Nailers. And on Saturday, a 6-2 loss at Wheeling. Jake Patterson was in net for the 3-2 loss against the Evansville Iceman, and he made 33 saves on 36 shots. Merrick Tverden had a bit of a rough go as well, only picking up one assist in the three games. In his 11 games in net, Jake Patterson has a 921 save percentage and a 2.53 goals against average. With Tom McCollum having an ankle injury right now in Grand Rapids, Patterson has been called up to back up Jared Coro. And goalie Jeff Lurg is back with the Toledo Walleye after being loaned to the San Diego Gulls of the AHL. With a 12-7-4 record and 28 points on the season, the Toledo Walleye currently sits second in the Northern Division and seventh in the Eastern Conference. In other prospects news, in the QMJHL, winger Adam Marsh picked up a goal and an assist in three games last week. His goal in the third game was a gorgeous between-the-legs breakaway goal. You can see it up on Wim. I did a fan shot. The Screaming Eagles announcer even called it Datsukian. He was hit with a stretch pass at the blue line. He was in all alone, cut from the right to the left side of the goalie, and shot the puck with the stick between his legs. It was a completely ridiculous trick shot, but he did it in a tied game real life. It was amazing. Go check it out if you haven't already. In the Western Hockey League, center Dominic Turgeon was not chosen for Team USA's camp roster, but he's on a tear. He picked up three points in three games last week. On Friday night, he had a goal and an assist, and both of them were absolutely gorgeous. His goal was the game-tying goal, and he was originally set up back door, missed a shot, cycled around, went back out by the blue line, saw he had an open slot, his teammates fed him the puck, and he went streaking up the slot, took the shot on the goalie, the goalie's falling down, the defensemen are falling down in the crease trying to stop it, and he keeps driving to the net, picks up his own rebound, and just roofs it top corner. Absolutely gorgeous. Then about five minutes later, he assists on the game-winning goal. He gets hit with the puck at his own blue line, goes dancing around the Prince George forward in the neutral zone, splits the defense at the Cougars' blue line, gets tripped up, and And as he's falling, he passes the puck between his legs behind him to Rehart Bukarts, who was streaking in with him. Bukarts puts the goal in. Portland Winterhawks win. I also put a post up on Wim with video of both his goal and his assist. Check it out. You won't be sorry. Turgeon has 14 goals and 18 assists for 32 points in 30 games. He's only 5 goals and 12 points away from beating his previous career highs, and he still leads his team in points and is second in goals. Turgeon's only gone 11 games this season without a point, and the Winterhawks are 3-8 and eight when he doesn't score. In the USHL, Chase Pearson didn't play a game for the Youngstown Phantoms last week because he's off competing in the World Junior A Challenge with Team USA. In the BCHL, goalie Chase Perry picked up two wins, including a shutout last week, and it was named second star of that game. He's played the most minutes in the league, and going back to the Wenatchee Wild this year has been an excellent decision. He played for the Wenatchee Wild two years ago, and then last year went to Colorado College in what was a very, very tough year. He put up very poor numbers, didn't get very much playing time. The team was absolute garbage. Most nights, both goalies ended up playing because it didn't matter who started, they would get pulled. After a strong showing in the BCHL this year, he has committed to play at RPI next year, so he'll be playing NCAA Division I hockey. In Colorado, 
College Hockey News, defenseman James DeHaas didn't have any games last week, but Mike McKee did pick up an assist in two games, and he had two penalty minutes to go along with that assist. David Pope also didn't have any games. Over in Europe, Christopher N. and Ferlando won their Champions Hockey League game by a shootout win of 6-4 over Lulia Hockey. This means that they advanced to the next round of the playoffs. Back with Ferlanda in the SHL games, he was on the roster for two games last week. In the first game, he was the extra forward and didn't even step out onto the ice. In the second game, he only managed 32 seconds. Axel Holmstrom and Schleftia were eliminated from the Champions Hockey League via 5-2 loss to HC Davos. Back in their SHL games, he played two games but didn't register a point. He's currently second among all junior players in the Swedish Hockey League in points with 16. The first place player has 18. He's also first among junior players in faceoff percentage with 51.98, is first in power play points with 7, and power play time on ice per game at 3 minutes and 10 seconds. Over in the KHL, Alexander Katykin is still centering Ilya Kovalchuk on the top line for SKA St. Petersburg. In two games last week, he picked up another goal, and it was a game winner. He now has three points in his last six games, and he doesn't look like he's ready to give up that top-line center position anytime soon. He seems to have some really good chemistry with his line mates, and is playing like he belongs there. The Red Wings have six players who made their country's World Juniors roster. So Vili Sarajarvi, Evgeny Svechnikov, and Joe Hicketts are all off preparing for World Juniors and didn't play any games with their CHL teams last week. Jordan Van Pottelberg, Christopher N., and Axel Holmstrom did play, but they're also on their World Junior teams. This week I asked you guys if you had any questions about Red Wings prospects. Punk Child P on Twitter asked me who I was most interested in watching at the World Juniors. I'm really torn here between three players who I love watching. Vili Sarajarvi for Finland, Joe Hicketts for Canada, and Axel Holmstrom for Sweden are three players that I love watching no matter what team they're playing for. They're players who are exciting and engaging and who I am very much looking forward to seeing how they do in the World Juniors. It's a little bit different role though. For Vili, this is his first year in the U20. He was in the U18 tournament last year, whereas Joe Hicketts is coming back returning for Canada and he very well could end up being team captain. And then there's Axel Holmstrom, who's one of the best junior players in the Swedish Hockey League. He's been in the World Juniors before, so he's a player that could potentially stand out in this tournament and take a big step. Maltby MVP asked if I had any Hempus Melon updates. The answer to that is no, I do not have any updates yet, but I will be reaching out to his current team and seeing if I can get any updates. Not Really Riggy asked if we had any Watermelon updates, and to that I say Seedless is the way to go. Zeb Habs says... N. Does that mean one or juniper? Google Translate doesn't like him. If it means juniper, will he smell like that? No, he is a Red Wings prospect, therefore he smells like fairy dust and unicorn farts. E.P. Gelhausen asked me what tournaments I was watching last week. I was tweeting out updates for the Champions Hockey League. Unfortunately, Julius Vatalo and TPS were eliminated, and Axel Holmstrom and Schlefti were also eliminated. Were there any standouts? I would say that of the three of those, Axel Holmstrom was definitely the most noticeable. Jordan the Greek said, and asked, any idea when Evgeny Svechnikov will be in Grand Rapids? He just turned 19 in October, and I believe that he could technically come to Grand Rapids next year. I haven't heard, though, from the Wings organization what their intent is. He also could go back to the CHL for another year, so that's probably going to depend a lot upon how he develops this year, what the Wings see from him, and if they're ready to bring him to Grand Rapids. My initial reaction is that it would probably be good for him. Uh, By the end of this year, he's probably not going to benefit a whole lot from staying in the queue, and his development would be better served by bringing him to Grand Rapids. He also asked if I think that Mantha can be a solid NHL player, and what are my projections for him in the NHL? 
The answer is yes, absolutely. Mantha can be a very good NHL player. Projection-wise, I hesitate to compare him to another NHL player because there's always so much baggage that comes with anybody. Any name that I can throw out, you're going to think of good things and bad things about him, and there's a whole lot of peripheral stuff that comes along with it. If you can, eliminate any personal biases when I say this. But I think that Mantha could be like a very good, healthy Johan Franzen. But a, a healthy Johan Franzen in his prime. He's that sniper, goal scorer kind of guy. Mantha isn't really a fancy player and he doesn't typically do a lot of like deking and fancy foot or stick work. But the kid is big, he's strong, and he knows how to score goals. That's what I think that he can be in the NHL and I absolutely think that he will get there. You guys can always hit me up with questions on Twitter, via email, or on whim. So until next week, that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. Oh, thanks, Michelle. All right. Uh, so at this point, we're going to turn it over to JJ, who's going to go through some reader questions. All right. Welcome to the third period of our program where everything falls apart. Um, <laughs> very first question from <laughs> oh, Shit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a transition Damn for you. Holmes from 96. Uh, the very first question, what are you getting your moms for Christmas? Graham. Um, my like my present will be my presents. Uh, we're going up there uh, day after Christmas, and I will probably I'll probably give her something like some golf certificate. She's a big golfer. All right, that sounds fun, Lauren. Oh, my mom's actually super hard to shop for. Um, I think probably kind of go a safe route. Maybe get her like some jewelry, things like that. Maybe a new travel mug to take to work, something like that. All right. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so for some reason, my mom's gotten really big into drinking Moscow mules. She really likes these <laughs> copper mugs. So we're going to get her some engraved copper mugs with her name on it. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yeah, right. that's cool. Uh, I get my parents Omaha steaks every year, and then I'm, I can't tell the other thing because my mom probably listens to this program, and I don't want to spoil it for her. So I'm sorry, you guys, mom, so didn't listen to your <laughs> radio stuff. Uh... Mdra12, if Jimmy or Peter gets hurt, who do you want as the backup? McCollum, Corot, or Patterson? <laughs> I'm referring to Lauren oh. on this because she knows the goalies better. So whatever Lauren says is my answer. Well, I think McCollum's actually hurt right now. Um, I got to go with Coro. I think Patterson, I don't think he's played in GR even one game yet. So someone with more experience at the pro level. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would take Coro as well. Um, you know, I think we had McCollum up for a couple of games a couple of years ago. Or maybe it was that last year. I can't remember. Last year. I don't know. I'd like something <laughs> other was. than McCollum. It, it was last year. Uh, JJ and I actually saw Thomas McCollum win an NHL game live. Against the Sabres, yeah. Yep. Against the Sabres. Because yeah. <laughs> Peter Marazic got pulled in that game. Because he yeah. was awful. Yep. Right. He was. It was also the day the Colts lost to the Patriots. So my wife and I were not feeling pretty good after the first period of that <laughs> hockey game. But by the end of the game, we were feeling just fine. And the Red Wings won, so that was also good. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll defer to the same answer. Um since uh, Anton Kudobin went on waivers today, he's, he'll clear by tomorrow, and it doesn't matter. So, All right, uh, Red White Mile High asked a freaking long question, because that's always good. Uh, he wants to know, <clears throat> what about the thought about you reduce the active rosters by four, so you only get nine forwards instead of 12, five defensemen instead of seven, and two goalies, uh, and increase the number of NHL teams. Um, to keep roughly the same number of players in the league. This means approximately six more teams. Um, part one, would this be an effective way to increase scoring, or would the end result just be lower quality product due to increased time on ice and shift durations? 
Um, I'd say the latter. Also, injury concerns because you got guys that are going to be playing you know, 18, 19, 20 minutes a night all the time. Yeah. I mean, this isn't the 1960s. The game is too fast, too physical. I mean, I know Darren played in an age where there were minimal pads and the puck didn't move too fast, but you can't do that now. Lauren? Uh, yeah, I, I think the same kind of thing. You know, it's going to lead to more injuries, um, more fatigue for the players. Um, I don't really see, I don't even know how you, how that works out with, I mean, you'd have to completely restructure um, like your defensive pairings if you only got five players in, in any given game. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things to, to reconsider with that. But um, yeah, I you know, putting all that extra time and work on the um, on all the players doesn't necessarily give us a better product, especially when, you know, you, if you're keeping the same number of players in the league, you know, there's, like, for the most part, the best players right now are already in the league, so you're going to end up redistributing probably fairly unevenly, unless you're still thinking expansion draft in this case, but that's a whole other complicated issue. Yeah, I think we can look at the New Jersey game, and that'll tell us exactly what'll happen if you start goofing around with with the player stuff because it, like the first two months of the season it was like what se- close to 70% of overtime games avoided the shootout and then it's like in December it's been like just over half uh, because of the way New Jersey has plays 3 on 3 if you set up a system coaches are going to immediately start figuring out ways uh, to break it to prevent goal scoring, and I feel that that kind of system is that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, part two of that is you have to fill now you have to fill six expansion teams. So we got Las Vegas and Quebec. Uh, where else do you go? Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. Seattle. Hamilton. All right, Hamilton. Hamilton. It would be tough though. I don't think the Leafs will ever go for it. Or Buffalo. Have to have a second, you should already have but, a second Toronto team. Um, there should be, but it I would have to go north. Um, just because Hamilton, the problem with Hamilton, and this happened when they were talking about it last time, is they're in the radius of both Toronto and Buffalo. Toronto probably would go for it because nobody's going to draw the Leafs. But Buffalo um, takes a lot of their, they get a lot of fans that come from Hamilton because it's not that far to drive across to Buffalo from Hamilton. Um, so... Oh, I think there would be a concern there that you sticking, sticking a team right in the middle of those two kind of might screw things up. If you're going to go Toronto, you're going to want to go either in Toronto, call it Toronto, and I'm using that in, in air quotes, but go a little bit north of the city like Markham or Richmond Hill or somewhere like that. That would be where I would say. Give a real NHL team to Ottawa with an <laughs> owner who spends money. Yeah. And then, okay, uh, it seems Stamkos and John Cooper can't reconcile the differences, and he's going to UFA, apparently. Uh, where does he sign? Is it just going to be obvious he goes to Toronto, or do you see a, another team that, that jumps in there? It's Well, it's got to be a team that's got a shot at winning fairly soon and, and has the cap space to do it. So Toronto would Toronto would make sense, in all honesty, because he's from there. And don't discount it as, as an option. Babcock is there. They're, they've actually got a plan in place now. I mean, it's not just kind of floundering, signing a bunch of you know garbage and just hoping that some of it floats to the top and, and does well. I mean, they have some, some pretty exciting prospects coming down the pipe. The question is, I was reading this, there's this talk that Stam, one of the issues between Stamkos and Cooper is that he wants to play center and Cooper wants to play him on the wing. Well, the Leafs have... Um, Nylander and Marner are both centers, are they not? 
I want to uh, say that Nylander is a center, but I remember that when uh, they were at the World Juniors last year, Nylander was actually playing wing to uh, Axel Holmstrom. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess there's part of me that counters, well, if you've got these two stud centers coming up, are you just bringing in Stamkos and you're going to shift one of them to the wing? Or are you just going to be like, hey, we'll pay you a, a lot of money, and but you're still going to play wing, but you know you win. So I don't know. I, I guess that part concerns I don't think Babcock, I don't think that part would bother Stamkos at all. I, I still wait for some weird team to come out of nowhere, though, and, and scoop them up. Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny is if you read uh, John Butchergrass's opening mailbag for the season, he said Detroit. There's no way we can do it, but that's that's what's in his mailbag. He said he would have Stamkos come to Detroit. Now, yeah, I think we'd have to clear another like three million on top of the people that are already falling. I mean, off. you have to let everybody walk who's yeah. going to walk already. Which I mean, we don't have too many of, in terms of the unrestricteds. I don't really care the restricteds. I care about, but. Uh, I don't. I don't think you can make it happen, but that would be an interesting concept. Yeah, that, I mean, that's working. It's working under the assumption that he gets like a max contract, right? Like the ten and a half or eleven million dollar monster deal. Yeah, and I, Which I, I think can't I think that's why he yeah, would. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think you're going to see some team like um, in Myrtle just wrote about it. And he just said uh, um, apparently there was a deal. Was it Buffalo? Buffalo for Buffalo Eichel. was yeah for for what, what was the second pick? So I mean, yeah. It was, yeah. For Eichel, that actually came pretty close. I mean, according to the to the report, it's it, that like it actually went to Stamkos and he turned it down because he's got the no movement clause. Uh, and then the, there was talk that there were some preliminary talks with Calgary. I mean, like every team is going to at least inquire if they have the potential to do it. And then you're going to eliminate two thirds off the top that are just like, no, there's no way they're going to be able to touch it because of cap space. I don't also- to Edmonton. <laughs> and they're just going to be like nothing but forwards. They're just going to have forwards play defense too. You might as well. It's like your idea with you know twelve centers and then just six more centers back in defense. Yeah, right? it's all centers. Put a center in goal. <laughs> might as well. I don't know. I mean, Graham, to your point about Buffalo, there's no reason Buffalo couldn't just straight outright sign them. They already got nine million cap space, and they've got Leguan and McGinn coming off the books. That's like six yeah. million cap right there. I mean, you've got Eichel and Ryan on their. Uh, on their uh, entry contracts, I mean, that would be the perfect time to do it. And that's a strong set of centers for Buffalo. Right, because then you've got Reinhardt, Gergeson, Eichel, and Stamkos. You've got Kane and Molson. and I mean, that's a, that's a loaded team now. So. That it, you know, Buffalo makes sense if you really think about it because they're, they're young, they're getting better. Uh, you can build around Eichel. You bring in Stamkos to that. I mean, their forward, that forward core would be among the league's best in a couple of years. Oh, absolutely. And they've and they've got some they've got some good pieces on defense. They'd probably be they'd probably be a legit goalie away from contending within three years. Like serious contenders in three years. Oh, completely agree. I mean, as Ristolainen gets better, they've got Cody Franson. I mean, they they've got pieces. Mm-hmm. And then we trade them Jimmy Howard. Because he's there you from go. New York. Send him back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because they've got. I mean, Ristolainen's going to get a, a nice little raise. But I mean, looking at their defense, they got Bogosian, who's a nice piece. George's nah, meh, whatever. <laughs> I think every team has to have that one defense where you just go, oh yeah, okay, he's on the team too. But I mean, they have nothing else um, really in the way of some like somebody that's going to that would block him from signing. Boy, Buffalo just Buffalo makes sense. Yeah. 
All right, well, taking you about centers, Red White Malaha wants to know, Riley Sheehan, is he legitimately part of Detroit's long-term plans, or has he hit a ceiling and is just treading water, or is he supplanted by one of the prospects? I think he's long-term. I think uh, I think he's settled in nicely as the, the three-center. Um, but where but where we move away from the, the old-school thinking of your third line is your grind line and your fourth line is your garbage, like... I think he fits nicely. He and Tatar and Nyquist have actually formed a nice line. Um, they're playing well, so I think he's. I think he's here for the long haul. Lauren, what do you think? I agree. Um, I think he's here to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, my question, you know, because he is playing well with Tatar and Nyquist, is he going to be able to make the jump with the two of them when they're going to be? You know, they're going to become the second line maybe in a couple of years here. Um, you know, relied on more heavily for offensive contribution. I'm sure their defensive responsibilities will, will increase. Is he going to be able to, um, you know, make that that jump with them? I think it. I think he could get there. Um, right now it seems like he's kind of having a, a bit of a rough year, at least by his standards. Um, but I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. You know, it's it's kind of tough when I when I think about it because on one hand he's a, he's 23 years old, so he's real young. He's younger than the other the Nyquist and Tatar, but at the same time, I don't see any sort of second line center upside in him. You know, we Lauren was mentioning increase in defensive responsibilities. Well, tonight, right, he got a he got a chance at the O'Reilly line. He finished minus seven at five on five shot attempts. Tatar was minus nine. Nyquist was minus five. They haven't been able to handle playing against that tougher level of competition. I don't want to pin it all on Shahan, but, um, I mean, he's the one who had the defensive breakdown on that second goal. Um, I don't see him topping out past, or I think he's topped out as a third-line center. I think it's almost what we thought of Darren Helm a couple years ago. He's the best third-line center in the NHL. I think that's Shahan's potential. I don't think he settles in as a second line, and I think we need AA uh, to really settle in as the second line. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think he's, he's topped out there. Um, I think that the third-line center position is fairly key, and I would rather have a guy who should legitimately be playing second line center as your third line center as opposed to having a guy who is really good third line center and kind of is a little over his head on the if you put him on the second um i don't know if like if now is the time to get value for him or if that's the place he should be in right now because i am worried about the future of of detroit's centers as as we come up in the next few years so uh, I like the guy. I think he's. I think he's got hockey smarts that that are going to keep him around in the league for a long time. But yeah, I I, just, I see him as essentially being another guy who is always like, well, he's gonna he's gonna be better in the future, and then he just kind of isn't. Um, what he is now is is pretty good though. Um, Acadia six wants to know how many years it's going to take for uh, prospects to hit. Uh, let's see, Mantha Nosek. Ulet, AA, Little Bert, and Svechnikov, um, seven years, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Over, under at six and a half. I mean, it's tough. Spots really don't aren't opening up, so, unless you let some guys walk. Yeah, the, I hate doing that. I'd rather just move them. Yeah. But that's not the Red Wings way. It hasn't been for the last few years. Uh, Beer League Arbitration, two questions. One, based on team construction or coaching system, are there certain types of teams that pose inherently favorable or unfavorable matchups for the Red Wings? Oh. <sighs> 
I've team construction or coaching. I, I've always felt the Red Wings um, they struggle with teams that are fast and aggressive four checkers. Um, just because the the Wings don't have a defense core that is as strong in their own end at moving the puck out. So the teams that have consistently given them fits are teams that get in on the defense very, very quickly and, and can apply a lot of pressure just from the forward groups. Because that forces you know, the Red Wing defense to, to do something with the puck when they're not ready to do. The Red Wings play the type of structured system where they have very, you know, kind of set design plays to break out. So that's where I find they struggle is against those types of teams. I mean, I completely agree. It's the team. So like you saw it tonight with Buffalo and when Buffalo was down, uh, what they did is they went into the 2-1-2 four check and you could see that when Buffalo got two guys under the, you know, inside the faceoff dots, that's when Detroit turned, kept turning it over. You kept having poor breakouts. And then, that, you know, this goes along with our guys leaking out. And, I mean, the team I always think about that gives us fits is Boston. I mean, you look, they get in fast. They they hit. They forecheck. And, you know, they, they're they not a team that Detroit likes to play against. You know, that's probably the biggest system thing. I think forechecking-wise, we don't have that. Lindstrom, Rafalski, that can move the puck uh, 60 feet off one pass and put it tape to tape. It's We're going to have to do a series of two, three passes to get out of our zone, and right now we're not structured to do that. I think that if you boil it all down, you've got essentially two types of teams in the NHL right now because everybody wants to be speedy and aggressive. But you, have, you basically have finesse teams and you have tough teams is, is what everybody tells it down to. And Boston is very much a, a tough team, but honestly, I think Detroit struggles more with finesse teams, and I think that Boston is sneakily uh, finesse uh, because it's not the big hits that are, are taking them out. It's they have real trouble dealing with guys like Marchand and Bergeron who handle the puck extraordinarily well. Yeah, I mean that's a that's definitely a fair point. Um, you know, the speed of the four checkers, I think, is probably the better way to put it. Not necessarily their size or the their ability to finish hits, but it's really their speed and then their smarts to be in the passing lanes to take away the primary options and force the Red Wings players to roll through checkdowns just like a football quarterback. And, you know, right now the Wings D guys aren't getting to their third progression. They have one play in mind, and the the smarter and faster four checkers take that away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because look at uh, you look at a team that actually struggled with the Red Wings was Anaheim. And Anaheim played a, they played a big physical game, but the wings were able able to exploit that um but when they come up against but when the thing was like san jose gave them trouble for years right it wasn't until san jose actually got got better that they were able to beat the red wings and had nothing to do with wearing them down physically it was about just being more talented and more skilled and being quicker yeah, I mean, you saw like what was it, oh six, oh seven, where we took it to San Jose, and then uh, a couple years later, after the emergence of Pavelski and Couture, additional skill players to Thornton and Marlowe, they were able to do some damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the place where the Red Wings have trouble with tough teams is when um, their power play does not work as their enforcer, and that's been hit and miss for for years now. So. Right now, I don't think fans have a lot of confidence in the power play to work as the enforcer either. So, yeah, I guess you could say they, they have trouble with teams who are going to constantly skirt the rules, especially if the, the refs aren't going to call the game right. But that is what it is. Uh, the second part of your league arbitration's question was, now that we're starting to see Blashill's system being fairly consistently implemented, do you think it's a good fit with our, per- our current personnel? Are there players on the roster that made sense under Babcock but maybe don't fit into the picture under Blashill? 
It's kind of a leading question there, right? I mean, we're just right. it's kind of asking for all of us to say Glenn Denning is a problem, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the first person that came to mind. Um, I, you know, I mean, I didn't watch enough uh, of the of the Griffins really at all, so I can't really see what Blasha was doing in Grand Rapids. I, I'd probably defer to Lauren on that one, but I mean, it, the NHL level, you don't see. There's not a huge change between what the Red Wings looked like last year versus what they looked like this year. There, I mean, there are subtle differences with you know the defense being more active, and um, I mean that's that's the biggest key there. But I mean overall, I think the personnel that the Red Wings have now fits in with Lashley because a lot of these guys played for him down in Grand Rapids. I mean, that's the Red Wings as an organization seem to adhere to the philosophy of we're going to try to play the same way at all levels, whether it's the ECHL, the AHL, the NHL. We're going to try and implement kind of the same basic idea of how we want our players to play so that as they progress through the ranks, they're not being forced to learn something brand new based on where they were prior to that. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think that... Um, shit, hold on. <laughs> I've just cut this part out. Um, no, I totally lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I'll jump in here, JJ. Uh, I mean, you know, looking with all the work I've done this year on the system stuff, I mean, Graham's absolutely right. There's not a whole lot different between the Blaschel and Babcock system aside from, you know, utilization of certain plays. Like, you know, we're still 31 games in, and I think the pass to Yurko today was one of the first stretch passes I've seen of the season. I don't think that's something they utilize a lot. But the system right now is designed for smart, skilled, fast players. And the part that Detroit misses with this system is the smart. And, you know, I'm not trying to mean that in a bashing way, but when you think about it, all the way down to from our forecheck to our in-zone coverage to our penalty kill, it relies on players who have a high level of skill and a lot of speed to make quick reads and quick decisions. And I think where the Wings players don't do that well enough, does that mean the system should be changed to something simpler? No, I think if the longer you implement this system, the better the players will get. But that's why you had 15 games of growing pain or growing pains with Blaschel is he made minor tweaks and he was still putting players in different responsibilities. Uh, I think the system fits everybody minus Glenn Denning and Miller, but they didn't fit under Babcock's system. They just got a lucky year. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I think as the season goes and into next season, you'll see this team play better. Uh, hey, Nick Moore asked something about Marchenko that <clears throat> I think we've already talked about it, but I wanted to, to mention it because I forgot to mention earlier that he's actually coming up on the end of his waiver exemption. Um and if he plays 28 more games this season, he will reach waiver uh, waiver eligible status. So, again, I don't think that Marchenko is going to get those games before Quincy comes back. So he will still be waiver exempt by the time that decision process has to come. But I just wanted to make mention that, yeah, that's, that's going to weigh into that decision when Quincy comes back. Um, Red Wings 26135, if you had a time machine and could have dinner with any member of the Wings organization from history or present, who would it be? Prashant, why don't you start with you? Uh, I mean, for me, it's going to be Pavel. I mean, I feel like between the broken English and the jokes he's trying to crack in the broken English, he, he'd probably do something like pull the tablecloth out from under the plates and nothing would budge and then money would appear or something like that. I don't know. I just, I'd have to see it. So he, he'd have to be the one. Graham? Uh, it would be Eisenman. Man was a hero. He was my childhood hero. That's an easy one for me. Lauren? 
I think um, using, actually utilizing this time machine, um, go back and talk to a younger Gordie Howe. Um, you know, growing up as one of the, like, he, you know, he was the dominant player in the league, you know, in the young NHL for so long. I mean, he played for across, uh, was it five decades of hockey? I mean, mm-hmm. that's just insane. And it's it's unfortunate now, I mean, with, um, with the dementia and stuff that he has, um, you know, he's continued to decline from that. Um, he's obviously not the same as, you know, when he, um, when he was younger. So I think, you know, go back and, um, you know, talk to him maybe even, you know, 20 years ago, just, you know, see what it was like for him to mold the NHL in, in the way that he did it would be really, really cool. I think, uh, since the Pablo Dotsu games are got taken already, that's who I'd go with. But, uh, I'll take, uh, Igor Larionov instead. I think if it weren't for him in, innumerable ways i wouldn't be a red wings fan uh basically the 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 father of of kind of the way russian hockey translated over to the nhl um such a a smart well-spoken guy not as funny as Dotsuk, but uh i'd I'd pick his brain a lot uh attack dog wants to know the over under on how much longer uh anderson stays on the roster (laughs) i just will set the over under uh is he still around at the end of the season Yes. Stay on the roster all year. I think so. Yeah. No. After no. that remains to be seen. Wait, but... like the NHL roster? Yeah, yeah the NHL the roster. No, mm. He doesn't stay on the NHL. No, no. By the end of the year, he's he's in Grand Rapids. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. I wish I could. I, I agree that it should be. I, I wish I could agree that it will be. Uh, let's see. What's the Red Wings plan with the defense core? We seem to have numerous high quality forward prospects. So there's never talk. No, let's talk of any stud defenseman. Um, kind of have an all right blue line but is that's not really good enough so i i don't know i mean are does do we have the feeling that the red wings are, are really really trying to push forward on on getting another stud defenseman on the blue line or they're just kind of waiting and seeing i don't think they have one currently in their pipeline i mean i don't think there's anybody in grand rapids right now who you would kind of look at and say man he's he's the future like he's he's a future anchor on the wings defense not like an Erickson anchor bringing everybody down. Um, I, I kind of agree with with you know Sunday Funday that there seems to be a lot of all right players, even the ones that were clamoring to kind of come up like Roulette and stuff. I mean, they're not going to come up and be awesome. So I think the Wings need to need to look at either drafting and developing somebody or trying to make a trade. I and I realize that that's. A lot more difficult than than it actually than just saying it. What about Joe Hicketts? I don't know enough about him to. to I mean, he's he seems to have the highest ceiling of anybody that's currently in the in the system. But um, I don't know, Lauren. You probably know more about him than I do. Maybe Hicketts? Oh no. Oh, <laughs> I don't know much about him. Yeah. I mean, Hicketts. Uh, he's like a poor man's Rafalski as as of right now. A small guy, really can control the game. Plays a lot of time, but you know, I don't see him potential wise maxing out as better than a three. I mean, you got Villy, who's over in Flint, who again we we haven't I haven't seen enough of him to really make a projection on him. I mean, he could he could easily slot in maybe at two or three, but I still don't think you have a number one defenseman on this roster uh, at this point in time, which is, I mean, you really can't say that for a lot of teams. Well, you know, it's a, I mean, you kind of, the, the thought is that you kind of draft some sort of stud defenseman, like you see like an Aaron Eckblad getting drafted, and you go, oh yeah, he's awesome, or um, Hannafin in Carolina. I mean, you look at some of the, the top 
defensemen in the league right now, like they weren't they weren't highly touted prospects coming out of wherever they were coming out of. I mean, you look at look at Duncan Keith, who I personally I believe Duncan Keith is probably the best all around defenseman in hockey now. Um, I think he was a second or third round pick. Subban was a second round pick. I mean, it's it's not you don't have to necessarily draft high. You just have to draft somebody with. I don't, know, I don't know how you identified. I, I mean, people have written about this before. Defense is probably the hardest position to evaluate. So I think there's there's luck involved. I mean, look at Lidstrom. Um, Lidstrom fell to the third round. Uh, and, the you know, wings, there's all the stories. Wings were kind of trying to throw people off the scent. But, I mean, if the Red Wings really, really, really believed that Nicholas Lidstrom was the once-in-a-lifetime player that he turned out to be, He's not drafted in the third round. He's drafted in the first round. So was that I mean, still under the old draft rules where they couldn't draft him before the third? Though the Never. third was the last round he could be drafted in because he was eight, 18, I believe. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. That's what it was. So, but I mean, but that's that, that's kind of point is that if you if you know what you have, you you pick that player and you get him out into your system. So. I don't know. I I was always hopeful that Ryan Sproul was going to be that player. And it just, from everything I've read, it just doesn't sound like he's been able to kind of take that next step, even in the AHL. So I don't have much hope for him doing it in the NHL at this point. Yeah, you can always go drop $5.5 million on Bufflin, right? He's a free agent this summer. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I think Pickett's, we're thinking, like... It would be nice if he were uh, Tory Krug, and Tory Krug is a good defenseman, but he's not the kind of guy you build a defense around. Um, although I, I will say that watching the video of Hicketts uh, kind of crush Manta in the uh, this summer was really surprising. Like he is, he is short, but he is not a small guy. He is a thick person, which is a good way to describe a defenseman. Everybody loves to be called thick. Um. Cody wants to know, did you see Don Cherry say Nyquist sucks? I don't actively seek out people that dislike the Red Wings, so no. <laughs> it's a no from Lauren. Graham, did you see Don Cherry say Nyquist sucks? I, I did not. Um, I'm, I have no doubt it probably happened, but um, I'd be curious to, to see exactly what he said. Yeah, the same. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see it, but I'm probably assuming it's something along the lines of soft European, but I don't know. Yeah, I also the thing on Cherry is that he he'll he'll che- he'll cherry pick. Uh, uh, thank you. Um, I've known JD too long, but he'll pick out one <laughs> sure, play. Right. Like I mean, he's he's like the rest of us, right? He'll pick out one play and make a broad generalization about that player based off of one play, especially if it's somebody that doesn't fit the ideal that he has as a hockey player. And I mean, I think we all know what Don Cherry's beliefs are, so. I don't know. I I stopped caring about what Don Cherry thinks a long time ago. Yeah, I didn't see it. I did see that the video has been posted, and I just don't care. I don't give a sh- two shits about what Don Cherry has to say uh, about anything. A forty one forty one wants to know uh, what's up with Dotsuk. I mean, he did look better in the, the Buffalo game, but he said himself he told uh, Dana Wakiji of the Red Wings that. Like, just something is missing. He's not sure what it is. He Prior to tonight, it was, what, seven points in 15 games? Or he's usually a point-per-game guy? What do you think? I, I don't know. I mean, he was off, what, seven months? Six months since he, he played? And then, I mean, he's still, he's still working his way back. And he's, I mean, he is 37. And I'm 37. And I can tell you, I, like, I get hurt standing up, uh, getting out of a chair. <laughs> 
I'm not a professional athlete, but I mean, the body, your body starts to fail you in your 30s. And certainly as you get on the, the wrong side of 35, getting closer to 40, it's, it's tough. He's, he's older. So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a decline, but I think it's just, it's just, it's, unfortunately, it's just natural. So thank goodness we have all those memories of him that we can cling to. You know, I mean, from my perspective, like, uh, this is the lowest five-on-five shooting percentage he's had in his career. I don't think that's sustained. He's almost always up around 12%. He's at seven right now. Um, his, I mean, his his uh, course-side numbers are still great. He's at like 58%, which is, you know, where he runs for his career. His points for 60 look fine. I mean, he's still averaging better than a point and a half per 60 at five-on-five. I, I think it's just a matter of time. I mean, you saw the guy could have had four goals tonight uh, and, you know, hit the post, got robbed a couple of times, had a shot blocked. I mean, it, it's a matter of puck luck right now, and we're, we're basing everything off of, you know, 15, 16 games we've seen. I think let him run the full season. The guy's going to go on a tear soon. You'll start seeing some multi-point games. Yeah, right on. Uh, McDangles wants us to make up names, so I'm going to give you a position, and you're going to give me a made-up name for that position. Uh, Lauren, start us off with a left winger name. Oh, <laughs> oh God, that's hard. Jeez, um, just any random name. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm terrible at this. Sorry, Jack I'm Gallagher. Terrible. Jack Gallagher, good. Grand versus right. center. Um, Hector Middleweight. Rashawn, <laughs> <laughs> give us a right winger. Oh man, I was going to take the center. I had Luke Fondelberg at center, but oh, that's yeah, that, that would have been good for a center. That, that work for right center. All right, let's see. Uh, let's go with, um, this is, this is tough. I wasn't panning on the right winger. I had the center all lined up. Um, let's see here. Let's go with Justin Abracadabra. That's gotta be a last name, right? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Uh, the left winger, I'll go ahead and and go with that name. Uh, that is going to be, uh, Tomash, uh, (laughs) Puckashuk. And then the right, there, right? Yeah, there were two of them actually. Okay. And the right D-man, uh, give me a first name, Graham. Um, Evgeny. Somebody shout out a last name. <laughs> Blank. He's just he's just Evgeny. He's just you know what? It, cut yeah. you, cut your cock off. <laughs> that reminds me of when uh, the Red Wings used to have um, Maxim Kuznetsov. <laughs> That's a throwback. Yeah, and one time um, Ken Daniels was announcing like he, somebody else, like the healthy scratches, and somebody else was a scratch. I don't remember what he was, but he's like, this guy's a scratch as well as no, he, it was Holmstrom. Holmstrom's a scratch as well as because nuts off, and I heard it as Holmstrom scratched his nuts off. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was in the days before DVRs, so I couldn't rewind and go like, what the hell did he just say? And it took me probably ten minutes to realize that 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 no, he was not saying that Holmstrom had a, a horrible lower body. So that's my story. Uh, let's see. Uh, football and Hoodler, knowing what we know now, would we have hung on to either of them? Could we have? Would we even want them? It's it's hard because, I mean, hindsight, like, Hoodler at the time wasn't a $4 million a year winger. Now he is. So, knowing what we know now, I mean, they could have. I, d- I still don't think Philpola was staying. I think he was gone. Yeah, see, and he's the one I would have wanted to have kept. I think no Stephen Weiss. Yeah. I feel that we drove off Philpola unfairly through, like, I, I blame the fans and myself 
for not appreciating him enough. But yeah, I completely like, agree. Hoodler was like it was just his time. He was gonna make that money. He deserved it. But like we kind of didn't have the the space to to give that for him. He's been a fifty point guy ever since. He had one year where he scored seventy six, which I mean that's fantastic for a for a guy making four million. Of course you'd like to have that, but <sighs> Hoodler was a free bird man. He just had to go. Just gonna go be yeah. free. Where he's gonna be? Just in Calgary, Calgary. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna skip that question. I'm gonna skip this question. Uh, tell me how you feel about the York. No, I'll skip that one. Tandem goaltending in the playoffs. The very last question. Assuming no major injuries and continued success, can you foresee a scenario where Blashill continues to utilize the tandem goaltending in the playoffs? First of all, great screen name. Yeah, lurking off. Lurking off. Um, no, because you you can't run the risk of a guy coming in cold and and costing you a game. I mean, you know, the, the playoffs, you have to go with who's hot and who's playing well. doesn't matter who it is. Look what happened last year. I mean, if the Wings had gone with Jimmy Howard, the way he was playing towards the end of that year, I don't think they get to a game seven against Tampa. So, no, I, I foresee that by, by that point, and I hope earlier, one of the goalies has just basically taken the job and said, this is my, I'm the starter, fuck you to the other guy. Yeah, I don't think there's any way they run a tandem. I mean, you sure Buck's conventional wisdom, but there's a reason that we would believe that. I mean, no one's ever done it before. We'll see. I just don't think it happens. I don't see that fitting with Blashell's coaching style either. That just that's not what he's done in Grand Rapids for the last three years, and I don't see him doing that now. I think there's so much superstition as far as it comes to goaltending tandems and playing the hot hand and. You can't put a cold goalie in and, and all that crap. I think that would be a really good opportunity to um, to kind of play up on that. That could backfire hysterically, like backfire to the point where if you lose the playoff round trying to go with a tandem, um, this might be the only year that Blasio could actually survive doing that. I, I think that would get a coach fired um, just because there's so much of, of, of that, that voodoo superstition where you know, we played Mrazek in one game, and we played Howard in another, and we didn't end up winning the series. And and that's got to be the root cause of it. When basically the like, <clears throat> I, I I don't believe in in the concept of, of playing the hot hand. And I think that if there is a an effect on your team in regards to that, I think the effect for the team would be an overall positive. Like it's being challenged to you guys that you've got to hold up two goalies here. You're not going to get a guy to bail you out. Now, as soon as a guy gets a shutout or steals a game in the playoffs, that just throws it all out the window. I, I can't see how you logically go against a guy after that. And I guess if you get blown out too, I mean, you get the same you get the same problem. So, yeah, I'm, I'm talking myself out of it based on that voodoo. But, yeah, sure, why the hell not? Give it a try. <laughs> play them both. Yeah, play them both. At the both same time. time. Yeah, dress one of them as a defenseman and just stick them both in that and just... You know, really mess with the other team. I like it. We will just stack three people on top of each other in the crease, and then just two people. Like, you've got to score. That's it. We're going to play every game 0-0 until the other team literally dies from exhaustion. Well, I mean, the stacking three people is basically what Tampa does with Ben Bishop, so. It's very true. <laughs> yeah, but they lost in the finals. Losers. So, yeah, that wouldn't work. That was a bad idea. By definite. <laughs> All right. That's, that's the other reader question, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand right. it back to Graham for overtime. Awesome. Well, it's uh, so what? It's three on three now. So, I mean, really, this is kind of a crapshoot. Could go either way. Um, so, they played today and lost. The streak is over. It's, it's We're all going to be sent out. And unfortunately, 
we don't have another game until Friday, so we get to be sad for an extra long period of time. Wings have a couple of Western teams coming to town. Vancouver on Friday, Calgary on Sunday. So let's go around the horn. What do they do in those two games? I'm going to start with Lauren. How many points they get? Vancouver, Calgary. How many points? I say four. Um, just partial uh, wishful thinking, just because those are not two good teams that we're going to be going up against. And also, I just I want to. I think the Wings are going to get you know fed up with this um the blown leads finally hopefully they get fed up with it and i think they're just going to come out and really take it to a couple of not good teams all right Prasant, how about you taking i'm taking two it's a whenever you head out west you're going to drop one for some reason and detroit right now doesn't look super great last four games i mean their their possession numbers are at 48% right now at 5 on 5. I mean they're dropping off so I'm going to let them drop one out there. They're coming here actually. Yeah, they are. They are oh, coming here. Oh, just kidding. Just kidding. And <laughs> that I take everything case, back. I'm give them 3. Back. I take that back. I'm going to give them 3. They're still going to find a way to go to overtime and lose one, but 3. Damn it. JJ. Oh, these are two bad Pacific Division teams and the Red Wings are not good against bad teams. I wish I could be confident enough uh yeah i'm gonna find the strength it's, it's gonna be four points and it's gonna be blowouts i i actually agree with lauren and jj it's points they're gonna win uh four to one against vancouver and then they're going to win three to two against calgary where they will be up three nothing going into the third period give up two goals and hoodler will hit the post with <laughs> less than a minute left and then we will all exhale and say whew so that's it. So by the end of the week, they will have uh, solidified their their spot in the playoffs and uh, be good to go, getting ready to go into the Christmas break. All right. Um, so let's go around the horn. Any final hockey-related thoughts? Um, man, you know the Geico commercial with the final countdown on the burrito thing? That guy does not have his burrito on a plate in an office microwave. I would kick his ass if he worked in my office for nuking a burrito without using a plate. <laughs> it was not hockey related, but... <laughs> I don't care. I'm well, I'm they actually, play allow it. during hockey games all the time, so... I'm going to allow it. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm still pissed off about the game, so... I'm sick of overtime. The, the streak is over, and in a weird way... It's good, because now we can stop talking about the stupid streak. Make a new streak. That sounds oddly prophetic, actually. Yeah. yeah. I know, right? <laughs> We're not talking about this at the end of the... I hope this isn't like a foreshadowing of our of our, our April uh, yeah. podcast that we do. We're going we're gonna to keep a cut of this, of this exact conversation to play yeah. again sometime in the future. Well, that's uh, that's going to do it for this week's edition. So on behalf of AJ, Lorna, and Prashant, uh, thanks very much for listening. Go Wings. Wing in it. I'm <laughs> <bringing> it. I'm <laughs>